Welcome to the Pacific Forest Foundation's Talking Timber, where each week you meet the professionals behind the Northwest timber industry. Hi, and welcome to Talking Timber. My name is Diane Mettler, and I'm your host and the Executive Director of the Pacific Logging Congress. Today, we're talking to Diane Dealey Neal. She is the founder and coordinator of the Forester Challenge, an academic event for high school students in technical forestry. We're going to talk to her about what those events are like and what it takes to put them on. Before we get started, though, I want to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Forest Foundation and the Pacific Logging Congress, whose mission is to spread awareness about sound, responsible forestry and provide valuable educational programs. Please visit them at www.pacificforestfoundation.org and www.pacificloggingcongress.org. Each year, the Pacific Forest Foundation provides thousands of dollars for students pursuing a job in a forestry career. Applications are being accepted now. If you or someone you know might qualify, just visit www.pacificforestfoundation.org and apply online. Okay, let's hear from Diane and see how she got a start in the industry. My name is Diane Dealey Neal, and I created a program called the Forestry Challenge. And uh, not really entirely by accident. I've got kind of the groundwork was laid for me to be in the forestry world uh, from a very young age. My father is a registered professional forester in California, and he was grandfathered in in 1973 when they created the Professional Foresters Act. He's number 75, which I'm really proud of because um, there aren't too many people left with, with double digits. So um, I always thought about a career in forestry, but I decided to go with the route of agriculture. So I have bachelor's and master's degrees from UC Davis in agriculture, but the forest has always been a big part of our lives with um, growing up with a dad who's a forester. One of, of course, one of the family traditions was going out and setting a Christmas tree every year and going out on, on property company ground because he's always worked in private industry. And in high school, we, we did live for four years in Washington State. My dad worked for International Paper, and he was logging manager for three large tree farms uh, in the western Washington area. And um, in summers in high school, he would take me out. I was, if I wasn't working, I'd load up with him, and he'd go out. If he was checking on his logging jobs, I would go with them. And I can remember those times going out and going to the landings, looking at all the sites, um, you know, generally cable logging, steep ground, and I was full of questions. I can just remember all the way out, all the way back, just asking questions. I felt like it maybe at the time in the early 80s, things weren't good and people were being laid off. There were no jobs. So I did pursue agriculture, but uh, forestry always was calling me. Um, I did have a career uh, both with the state of California. I worked for an agriculture consulting company, worked for a conservation district. But um, I started to get into education through the conservation district, which is a big part of what they do. So I found that I really enjoyed teaching. I enjoyed sharing information and educating people. Uh, I took some time out when I had children. And as I started to get back in and think about what I wanted to do, uh, I thought about forestry education, just combining two things that I'm very passionate about. Uh, living in the Northern California foothills, right near the forest, uh, there was an opportunity to take kids to the forest and start talking about forestry. So when did you get the program started? My program started in 2002 with a pilot, uh, pilot project, and I, I made some major changes, and truly the Forestry Challenge program started in 2003. Okay. I, 
I ran one event and it's near my home in El Dorado County. I did that for several years. And as my kids grew and got into school and started going through school, I had more and more time available as they got older to do more. So my program stayed fairly static uh, with one event from 2003 until 2009. And then I became independent. I was under the umbrella of another nonprofit, but realized that it was a good time to sort of um, start my own thing. So uh, 2009 is kind of the breakout point where I started my own nonprofit and started expanding my program to other parts of California. And Mm -hmm. through the years, uh, I think we were kind of at a full build out at about 2014 and have been running uh, five events since then. And uh, at this point, I have four events in the fall and one event in the spring. So the program is set up. It's kind of doing its thing now. Of course, we suffered with COVID. We had to go do a virtual program in 2020, but back to in-person and now building the program back up. Wow. So if you can kind of explain what one of the forestry challenges looks like to someone who has a minute. Certainly. So just something I I kind of want to back up and mention, as I begin to develop this program, one of the things that uh, that occurred to me is, uh, and then someone had said years ago, and I love this little um, bit of wisdom, is do something that other people do and do it better than they do it, or do something that no one else does. Mm. And I think one of the reasons my program's unique, and I think one of the reasons is it's not easy. Uh, mm-hmm. We are, some aspects of our program, some of the features of our program are, are really a challenge to, to facilitate. And so Uh, One of those things, and the primary one, is that we do case studies. We uh, bring the students out to the forest, and they they study something. Um, It's called a focus topic, and every year the focus topic changes, and it it changes at each event. It changes each year. So uh, students coming back for a second year will have a different topic to study, and those topics are are timely and they're real. They're in real time. So we have to find a landowner with an issue or a situation where they need data. And we work with them to discover that data and then the students present the data and they analyze it and they create recommendations. And so to come up with that real time, real life forestry situation, year after year, location after location is a huge challenge. So I don't deal with scenarios, I deal with real life. Yeah, so can you, um, can you give me a couple examples of what those would be? Yeah, yeah. Um, so for instance, um, last year we were, last fall we were at an event in El Dorado and um, getting to the site, the location, it was a new facility for me to, to set up. Uh, they had a terrible fuels problem. I mean, this camp was completely overgrown, except in areas, a few areas they had masticated. And I asked the landowner, the manager of the camp, well, why, why do you have all this excess fuel? Why is it so overgrown? And she said, because we can't afford to do the work. The work is expensive. And I said, well, let us show you how you can. So the students analyzed the stand and they came up with har- a harvest um, prescription that right. would not only you know, raise, get, clear out some of the larger trees, but to uh, create profit to do the work that needed to be done, the mastication. Of the nice. So did, did I they follow of, through? Not yet. Not yet. So we, what we also did is we looked at the California law that allows fast tracking projects. There's some regulatory mechanisms that are, that are fairly new that allow 
uh, a landowner to expedite and not maybe not do the the uh, exhaustive analysis that that they would normally have to do. So um, they recommended the not only the, the prescription but the mechanism for getting the work done. Nice. So that was uh, one of my favorites. Um, we sometimes will work with the federal government. A few years ago, we did a project where they had done some work and they had specifications. They had not done the follow-up monitoring yet. So we got in right after the treatment was done and we were able to take some data and let them know whether or not the project, the outcome met the specifications that were originally intended you know, for the project. What, what the density of the trees, fire behavior was a big deal on that one. Uh, we were able to run their data through a program called BEHAVE and predict fire behavior in treated versus untreated. And how many students are working on a project like that? Um, typically about 100. So okay. we have four events throughout the fall and each one has about 100 students. And uh, what they're divided into teams. They come as a team from their school. So uh, we divide and conquer. So with data collection, we may have a 100, 120 acre parcel and we will set it up, uh, grid, we'll set it up in a grid. We'll, we'll go out and mark the plot centers. We give them a protocol and they go out and collect the data. Once their plots are, their data is collected, we assemble it into a data set. So we'll have a stand table. Uh, we'll have all the averages, trees per acre, basal area, canopy cover, all of those specs. Um, and then we give that set back to them. And that's processed within a few hours of when they collect it. And then we give it back to them and they analyze it. And that's the foundation for their recommendations is the real time. Wow, so how long does that take? Um, well, they typically our events start on Wednesdays, and on Wednesday evening we introduce the topic. Uh, I do I give them a presentation that describes the location where they'll be visiting, the data collection process. Uh, Thursday morning we train them on how to use the tools, all the basics, clinometers, D tapes, um, densitometers, increment bores, uh, angle gauges, all those tools. Then Thursday afternoon is when we put them out onto the landscape, and uh, they have help. We have lots of volunteers that come. Many are trained, our professional foresters. Many are just people who are good with, know how to use the tools. And the schools go out and identify, the team's go out and identify their, they, they locate their plot, they take the data, they turn it in about 4 p.m. And the trick for us is getting that turned around and assembled and ready for them at 7 p.m. when they sit down to do their evening work. Wow, okay. Yeah, it's a lot to process. And that's you know just another reason that, that other people don't do this because it's not easy. Uh, we were granted some tablets this year, which has greatly helped us uh, assemble the data. And then we're using software that will um, that will calculate volume based on species. So uh, we really give them a pretty complete data set within a matter of a few hours. So this runs from Wednesday through Friday. Is that correct? Actually, Saturday. So okay. um, that's so we I've, I've kind of uh, shown you uh, Thursday's activities. Thursday evening, they have about three and a half hours to analyze data. They also have appointments with foresters. We call Ask the Forester. They'll have two appointments that are 15 to 20 minutes in length where they can sit down with the forester and discuss the data and talk about the options. And the foresters don't tell them, here's what I would do. They help guide the students in their, in their analysis. Uh, Friday morning, we switch gears completely. Part of our event, it is a sport event. It's an academic competition, uh, is a field test. So um, we put them out and we do test them on their ability to use tools. Um, that takes half a day and the other half of the day there, we give them free time because one of the goals of our program is just to let kids recreate and enjoy the forest. 
And it's amazing how many students from urban areas have either never been to the forest or never really spent any time in the forest. So we'll have a half day activity, whether it be a hike, a field trip, um, some, some camp facilities have ropes courses and you know giant zip lines and things. So they're yeah. just gonna have fun for half a day. Uh, Friday evening, they wrap up their presentation prep and on Saturday morning, they give their presentation to a panel of judges. Wow, okay. So, so these folks, these, these students, they're coming from how far to these uh, locations? Some will drive many hours. Uh, they can go to any of the four events that they would like to go to, whatever fits their schedule. There'll be sometimes schools that will choose to go farther, not to the closest event because the date is better or they want, say they want to go to the coast and see the Redwoods. So they'll choose to go to the Santa Cruz event rather than say the El Dorado event or the Shasta event because they're, they're seeking to have an experience in a different kind of forest. Okay. And about how many schools are involved in this now? Uh, gosh, I think we, we can have, um, I think we had 60 schools before the pandemic hit uh, when we, in 2019, we had. And so we are, we are actually at about half capacity right now because many schools were not given permission to go on a field trip this past year. Okay. So we're hopeful that things are going to build back up. But typically in an event, we'll have 12, 14 schools. Okay. And, and we, we can serve up to 32 teams and a team is up to five students. So, you know, we're looking at, we have a capacity for well over 100 students. But typically, uh, if a team doesn't have, we have, a, say, an average of four students per team rather than five, we'll be in the 100, 100 student range. Okay. And so how many volunteers help you out with this? That is a critical part. I'm glad you asked that question. We need about 20 to 30 volunteers at each event. Some of our volunteers are just our members of the community, family, friends, and neighbors, as I call them, who will come and help us out to stay the entire time. Uh, we have a lot of uh, what I call gentlemen foresters, our retired people who will come and spend the whole time there. And then we have a lot of folks that can only spare an evening, half a day, they'll come and go. Um, Saturday is our biggest need for volunteers because we have panels of judges with three panel, three judges on each panel. And okay. we can have up to seven or eight uh, presentations going on at the same time. Okay. So you can imagine if we had seven, say seven rooms, three judges, that's 21 judges. We need, we need bodies <laughs> at that yeah. point. Some of these volunteer positions require, you know, knowledge in forestry. Some of them don't. And the judging, certainly we like to have folks that come in who don't necessarily know forestry well. Okay. And I tell the students, if you can't explain this for someone who doesn't know, have a lot of knowledge, then you aren't doing a good job. You need to be able to explain it to, to someone just walking in. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then, so are these students spending the night there at a hotel or how, where's that? Oh, no, they're, they're staying on site. And, you know, okay. oftentimes I'm asked, oh, are they camping? And it's like, well, not really. We can't, it's hard to put up 100 students, their teachers and all our volunteers uh, just would be impossible out in tents. Um, yeah. So we tend to rent facilities. They're generally church camps. Um, one of our facilities actually is owned by the Farm Bureau, but they can be owned by, you know, organizations um, or churches. And um, they have dining rooms and cabins. You know, they have basically okay. a full facility. They're, they're sometimes, you know, a bit off the grid and a bit rough, but um, that's fine too. We just, when we have bad weather, we continue. And the idea of, you know, a Woodstock type mud pit with <laughs> tents and kids is not going to work. So yeah. cabins, dining hall, um, you know, uh, shower houses, that kind of thing. Okay. And um, this, so the, these events, 
you're the only one who's who's putting all these volunteers and and doing all this work it's a lot and i i did start out alone and um working you know in fact when i started my organization there was one year i didn't pay myself at all and finally i've been able to work it up so i i do get paid some money but um i've been able to hire some help and that's been critical i have since I think about 2015, I've had an assistant. It's about half time person that's in the office with me, you know, okay. working on finances, grants, all that good stuff. And then I do hire a couple of people who are event specific. They they are there to help at events. Okay. And we've come up with a pretty a pretty tight um, schedule and list of things that people the volunteers need to be doing um, to prepare for the next thing the activity the students are doing. Okay, so if someone is listening to this and says, hey, I think I'd love to volunteer for this, um, how would they reach out to you? Well, that's a good question. Just, I would say go to the Forestry Challenge website mm-hmm. and there's a contact page and my email is on there. So send me an email, um, just say, there's also a form you can fill out, an inquiry form, and just say, hey, I'm interested in getting involved. Um, I, you know, no matter where you are in California, you're within a few hours of an event site. So that's that's the, we designed it that way on purpose so that, okay. you know, schools could access us, volunteers, foresters, the whole community can access us. We're going to take a quick break to remind you that this episode is being sponsored by the Pacific Logging Congress and the Pacific Forest Foundation. Each year, the Pacific Forest Foundation provides thousands of dollars in forestry scholarships from four-year degrees to trade schools. If you or someone you know might be interested, please visit www pacificforestfoundation.org. The deadline this year to get scholarships is May 1st. We also want to thank another great sponsor, Timberwest Magazine, which covers mechanized forest operations in the greater Northwest. Subscriptions are free to those in the industry. Just visit www.forestnet.com. Okay, back to Diane. So for you, what's been the biggest challenge of getting this going off the ground or just running it or what's the it's well I would say it's California is a very big state Mm -hmm. and uh if I had infinite amount of time and energy I could reach out to every school every school district every program Um, I would love to be able to do that and that's I think one of the biggest challenges for me is just the time it takes to recruit so recruiting is a big part of what I do fundraising is a big part of what I do um, getting the volunteers and then setting up the actual content. Um, okay. And I have been able to uh, secure grants in the last several years. So um, I'm very fortunate and there's a lot of grant money out there at this point in time. So I, I'm feeling confident that we do have the funding to support uh, what we're doing. So I would say uh, recruiting is a big, um, a big part of uh, one of the big challenges. So um, do you find that you have some schools that are that win quite a bit and this is very competitive for them or is it just a different school every time that wins or that kind of thing? You know, what's great about teaching high school students is they're there for four years and then they're gone. So it is, it's a really great formula because the teachers remain and they're, they're kind of the foundation of, of getting the students there. And I've always said, any, any school you go to, if you talk to students, you are definitely going to have the students who want to come. Yeah. Uh, it's a matter of finding those teachers who are willing to go to the extra trouble to set up a field trip and then go with those students and, you know, rough it for four days. So those, the teachers are really the critical part of the whole recruiting process. Um, I do have a lot of schools that have been coming for years and years. 
Uh, the great thing is the kids cycle through, so there's always a new batch of kids. Um, okay. Some schools are there, definitely competitive. Many compete in FFA events. You know, oftentimes these are ag teachers that are, uh, have natural oh, yeah. resource or forestry teams. Some are high performing environmental science, AP environmental science students. The teachers are very competitive. Others are there, um, you know, the new ones especially are there just to kind of get the, the sense of it. And um, it's pretty overwhelming for teachers yeah. and students uh, from a new school. But once then you have those students, then some will graduate, some haven't graduated yet, then they'll recruit younger students for the next year. So okay. once you get that continuity, the teachers know what to expect, the students can tell the new ones what to expect. Uh, but it's definitely a full schedule and it is, it is not called Forestry Challenge, uh, it's coincidentally. Yeah, yeah, so, um, so if you win, what happens? Well, you get a trophy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, and uh, the opportunity to go to the now state finals, which we created the, for the spring. So there's four okay. events in the fall and the one in the spring is a championship and okay. the highest scoring teams uh, are invited to the championship. Uh, there's not scholarship money uh, for winning teams. There's no cash payout. Um, they do it because they want to. And that's, I think that's, that's actually a really good thing. Now, yeah. that said, we do have a scholarship program. We've had a couple of our uh, supporters step up and say they wanted to do scholarships. So we have uh, two different organizations that sponsor scholarships. And those are for any student who's been through the program who's in a forestry program in college. Okay, great. And um, well, who, do, you, do you mind mentioning who they are? Or? I'd be happy to. Uh, so Pacific States, which is Redwood Empire, and they have sawmills and timber holdings on the coast of California. And the other one is the LA Hardwood Lumberman's Club. And I happened to uh, make contact with a, a man in Southern California who takes milled lumber and remills it to okay. for custom for frame, you know, photo frames and moldings and those kinds of things. And met him, went through his operation down there, right in the, in the heart of L, you know, the LA, the urban area. And then he connected me with these other people who are essentially lumber dealers in Southern California. And they came to me and said, we'd really like to do a scholarship. So they, they've done three to four scholarships each year for the last couple of years. Wow. And how, how much are they? Uh, those are 500. And then oh. the other ones from Pacific States, uh, Rabbit Empire, they're in the neighborhood of 1,000 to 1,500. And they nice. awarded three scholarships. Uh, each organization awarded three scholarships last year. And so for you, you see a lot of kids go through every year. Um, have you seen... Things have kind of changed their lives. Some students have gone into forestry due to this. Absolutely. I've got many examples of students who didn't know anything about forestry and why would they? Yeah. Uh, they come to the event. They realize they can apply math and science. They can become, uh, you know, get a college degree or training and they can work in the field. And I think that's really the big, um, the big draw for a lot of students is wanting to have a career outside. Uh, that's yeah. a professional career. So uh, yes, many students that go on and I, I, it's hard to track them, but I do the best I can to keep in touch. And that's part of why we have a scholarship program. We kind of, we're able to see where those students are going. And I've mm -hmm. had many students tell me that that it was the forestry challenge that not only made them aware of the, the possibility of being in, in the field and in the natural resource profession, but then inspired them to go do that. Okay. So if someone goes to your website, um, what things will they see there? Well, the front banner is the sliding banner photos of the different event sites and the dates that we have coming up. We've already put in our dates for next fall. Um, there's several tabs. One of the tabs says events, 
And if you hover over it, it drops down with all the events that we run. And then within each of those is, is information. So uh, we have a page for teachers that um, gives them the resources they need to, you know, to uh, get the students organized. And we've got a page called uh, for students and that's the study materials. We'd like them to do some work before they come so they have some basic understanding of forestry, at least from, from the classroom. So they can oh, yeah. have some basic knowledge. We have a page for parents with release forms and that kind of thing. Uh, we have some newsletters. So we have a tab called newsletters. We have a college and career monthly e-newsletter and a uh, monthly teacher newsletter. And I would encourage anyone listening, um, if you're either a student, college, high school student or a guidance counselor or someone who's interested in um, education, job boards, internship opportunities, those kinds of things, that's a great a newsletter. And then also for teachers, even if a teacher isn't in California, uh, I post opportunities, uh, curriculum, you know, um, opportunities for grants for the classroom, all kinds of things that uh, teachers from anywhere might might find useful. Okay, perfect. And when you're talking to students after they've done this program, are there pieces that they're most surprised they liked or that they, you know, that kind of stood well, out to them? We do ask the students if they would be more likely or less likely to pursue um, a career in forestry. Mm -hmm. And just for example, at San Bernardino last year, I've got the, the summary here. Uh, the question is, as a result of your participation, would you be more or less likely to pursue an education and career in forestry, logging, or natural resources? And mm -hmm. uh, the, the response is 40 were more likely, four were less likely, and 18 had no change. And some of the no changes are people who would already are already interested and they're still interested. So uh, that's what 40 to four, more likely, less likely, that's 10 to one. So that's yes. a pretty good, uh, yeah. So definitely um, we're, we're raising awareness and not just for forestry. Uh, we, we do talk about logging and we talk about other careers in natural resources like wildlife, water, um, you know, fire science. So we do try to bring in um, the, the fact that there's a variety of careers out there and different levels of training needed. Um, last, last fall, we visited a logging training site at Shasta College when we were at our Shasta event. We took the students out, showed them um, what the students who are in that program are doing. They're learning how to operate equipment. Um, you know, it's a great program to get someone trained up to go out and have a job um, using, you know, using logging equipment or being a logger. No, that's great. So, um, so this next year is already set up. I mean, this year, you know where you're going to go and yes, we do. What you're going to yes. be doing and yeah. Well, uh, we have our event dates. We have our contracts laid in, and now it'll be up to me during the next several months to find those focus topics, those case studies that are okay. within a reasonable travel distance or on site. Um, I can tell you just as an example in El Dorado, uh, the Calder fire, one of the big fires in California this past year burned most of the acreage of the facility we had been using since 2010 and uh, burned some of the buildings down, but say some of the buildings were saved. Uh, we had to move out of that facility this past year, but we'll be moving back into it. Okay. And the topic is going to be what they're doing. And thank goodness they're, they are salvage logging, they're exporting. Um, they, they're just, they, they just sort of knee-jerk reaction. Let's get this wood on the ground and out the door if we can. Mm -hmm but they've got to come up with a plan for their forest um, for the future. So that'll, the focus topic will have something to do with reforestation. You seem really passionate about what you're doing. Um, you know, I think that for so many of us in the field of forestry and natural resources, the career choice is, 
is something that, that, that people are passionate about. Um, it's not an easy choice. It's not a high paying career necessarily compared to other potential careers. Mm -hmm. And the people involved in this field are, are such hardworking and honorable people with just integrity. And I've had a blast. I've had a blast learning, knowing, you know, getting to know the people in the industry. And um, I just, I love what I do. And I think that passion that I have and that those around me have, uh, the kids see that and they, they see what a great career can be had out there in the forest. Oh, that's really nice. So the, um, do you, do you have different volunteers every year or do they kind of stay about the same? You know, it's uh, some of them. I have some that are steady. I've got one gentleman who basically comes to every event, a couple actually. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, in fact, one is a retired teacher and he is a medic and he's our photographer. And he travels wow. to all the events, even though he lives in Orange County, way down in Southern California, he comes all the way to Shasta. Uh, I have retired foresters who will travel with us um, to several events or all events. Uh, I've got some volunteers that only come to one because they live locally and that's, you know, they come out to judge. They always come out to judge on Saturday morning at Santa Cruz and that's what they do. Uh, so yeah, a variety of people. And of course I always need new volunteers. Some will end up moving away or for whatever reason can't join us in a particular year. So I'm always looking for more volunteers. Yeah, no, that sounds great. How do you fund a project? When I started out, it was, it was the program was basically supported on sponsorships. Um, that has expanded. There's now a lot of grant opportunities that I've become aware of and grant programs. So yeah. I do get some funding from uh, the state of California through the Climate Investment Program. Okay. Uh, it's a fire prevention education grant. I also received some funding from the Forest Service through their Forest Stewardship Program, okay. uh, state and private forestry. Some foundations you wouldn't suspect, like the Cliff Bar Family Foundation. The Cliff Bar is in the snack, you know, the high calorie dense snack that people use out in the wilderness. Um, they, they're pretty standard sponsors of our program. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to see the variety of people who, who are supportive of this effort. We want to give a big thank you to Diane for taking time out to talk to us today. And thank you again to our sponsors, the Pacific Forest Foundation and the Pacific Logging Congress. Please check them out online and the great things they do for the forest industry. You can find them at www.pacificloggingcongress.org and www.pacificforestfoundation.org. Okay, until next time, take care.
Yes, we do. 